The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 2 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC2. And this is Secret Church 2, episode 11. Second, the church exists for the completion of mission. Exists for the completion of mission. Romans 10, 12 through 14. How will they hear if nobody comes and shares with them? God's plan A is to take you to the unreached peoples of the world. And if we don't do it, there is no plan B. We are the plan A. So we've got to see that in the New Testament. The church exists for the completion of this mission. Third, the church dies for the cause of mission. The church dies for the cause of mission. We realize that most of the books that were written in the New Testament were written by people who died for the cause of mission. Matthew, John exiled, of course. Peter, Paul, main characters, authors. If we miss persecution that's all over this book, then we'll miss what fueled the fire of this book. The church dies for the cause of this mission and embraces death for the advancement of the word. That's a Christianity that we need to discover, recover. Think about the contemporary church and mission. Here's the implications that have just gripped me in studying this. We will miss the entire point of the New Testament if we read it and study it apart from the context of mission in the church. If in our local churches, in this local church, if we're not on mission, then we'll never understand the New Testament. You do realize that. If we are not surrendered completely to mission, we won't even be able to understand the Word of God. That's why Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of everything we have in Christ Jesus. How do you have a full understanding of everything we have? By being active in sharing your faith. If we hole up in our church buildings and study the New Testament, then we won't even begin to grasp its meaning. As if we're out giving our lives to proclaiming the gospel in all nations, now it starts to make sense why Paul would say this or that. Now it starts to make sense why Jesus would say this or that. It all makes sense only in the context of mission. Second, the New Testament church advanced the kingdom of God. Which kingdom are we advancing? Which kingdom or kingdoms are we advancing? Notice, please notice that the goal and the verses that are listed here Acts chapter 8, 19, 20, 28, they're not talking about how the church preached the church. They're talking about how the church preached the kingdom, the gospel. We're not advancing our own kingdoms. We're advancing his kingdom, and our kingdoms have been sacrificed to his. They've been abandoned for his. The church advances his kingdom. Third, the kingdom does not exist for us. We exist for the sake of the kingdom. You look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, and you see that Paul describes the very motive of Christ and his salvation. He says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might make him known among the Gentiles. There was an end. Christ gave his gospel to Paul for a reason, and it didn't stop with Paul. That wasn't the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason was so that all nations, Gentiles, would worship God. It's full circle. 
We can't stop salvation right here, center around ourselves and miss out on the fact that we exist for the sake of the kingdom. We are saved for one reason, ladies and gentlemen, to advance the kingdom. If we are not advancing the kingdom, we're not fulfilling the purpose of our salvation. We exist for the sake of advancing the kingdom. And if we really desire to live out New Testament Christianity, we must risk our lives for the cause of mission. We must risk our lives for the cause of mission. We're not... Well, we're about to go there, actually. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. And I want to show you a verse. Obviously, all the apostles, except for John, excluding Judas, lost their lives for mission. Peter, Paul, two main characters in the book of Acts. Stephen, Stone, James beheaded. It's all over the book of Acts. 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to get, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This is martyrs praying at the throne. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. Until when? Until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. You catch the weight of that verse? Feel the weight of that verse. The picture of martyred saints at the throne of heaven calling out, for God to rise up and show his truth and his justice. And God says, there's still more who will give their lives for the sake of the kingdom. May God raise us up to be a people who would say, we embrace whatever you desire in your plan, oh God, and we will trust in you. And, and I don't... I won't even pretend to know what it's like to be in the shoes of Johnny or any other brothers and sisters who are suffering and persecuted around the world. I won't even pretend to go there. But at the same time, what if we prayed that, that if God would see fit to count us worthy to be among that number, that we would embrace that? I'm not saying that's an easy prayer to pray. Some people in the church would think that's far too radical of a prayer to pray. But I've got to think it's a biblical prayer to pray. But God, if you would count me worthy to be joined in that number, then I embrace that. Okay, on that note, the gospel of the kingdom and the mission of the kingdom. You get to the end, Revelation, and you got the hope of the kingdom. I told you, hope was coming. It's 1157 and hope is here, okay? <laughs> hope is here, all right? We're going to fly through this, okay? Revelation, hope is here. So get them ready, all right, you know? All right, here we go. The work of Christ in the kingdom. The gospels. Now, oh, the king, here the king has come, the king has conquered. The king is in control. The king has a new community. Ladies and gentlemen, the king is coming back. That's where Revelation starts us in Revelation chapter 1. The king is coming back. The work of Christ in the kingdom. The gospels show the completion of Christ's work for us. 
There's nothing else that needs to be done for our salvation. His work is complete, Hebrews chapter 9 teaches us. Acts and the letters show the continuation of Christ's work in us. We've seen that over and over and over again. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Revelation, though, shows the consummation of Christ's work with us. We will reign with him, the Bible says. We are co-heirs with him in glory. It's not just for us or in us. We are with him. Man, this is where it gets good. The king who's coming. He came as the lamb. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. You've got it probably there close to you in front. Then I saw a lamb, lamb sitting, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He came as a lamb. He came in weakness. He came in poverty. He came in humiliation. That's how he came. He will come next time as the lion. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now you think, well, I, I thought it was lion and the lamb in the New Testament. It is. Here's the beauty of it. The triumph of the lion is seen even in the lamb. Look at verse 6. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, a slain lamb. But what is the lamb doing? The lamb is not seated. The lamb is not lying down hurt as if it's been slain. The lamb is standing as if it had been slain. Lambs don't stand when they look like they've been slain unless they have the triumph of a lion. The lion and the lamb. He came in weakness. He will come in power. He came in poverty. He will come with the wealth of heaven. He came in humiliation. He will come in glory. Jesus, this is the picture of him all over the book of Revelation. He is the faithful witness and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Remember, the whole point of this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the living one, Revelation 1, 18. He is the Son of God. He is holy and true, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 says to the, in the letters to the churches. He is the Amen. Can I get an Amen. He is the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You, you see the, the greatness of that word here. Because all that was prophesied, all that's pictured, now is amen in Christ. All the promises of God are yes in Christ, the New Testament teaches. And so we come to the end of this scene, the book of Revelation, and we've got one big amen fest. Because he is the amen. Faithful and true. He is the word of God, Revelation chapter 19. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the root and the offspring of David. All the way back to Matthew, now to Revelation. The king is coming back. He is the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not only is he coming in all that picture, but here's what he will bring. He will bring, first of all, final redemption for those who have accepted the kingdom. Final redemption. Redemption is brought back. Final restoration. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. The bride prepared for her groom. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16, though, shows that the king will bring final judgment for those who have rejected the kingdom. He will bring final redemption and final judgment. The king is coming back. It is a reality. Not only is the king coming back, but the king will host an eternal celebration. You're probably going to have a hard time fitting eternal celebration into that blank on your yellow sheet, but you might use two lines. The king will host an eternal celebration. Here's the picture of the kingdom. When you get to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
from God, beautifully prepared as a bride, for, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Here's the picture of the kingdom in Revelation chapter 1. Number one, indescribable beauty. Indescribable beauty in heaven, in the kingdom. A new creation, Revelation 21.1 says. We saw the fall at the very beginning. Now we've got everything is new. The old is gone. Second, a new Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. You may not know it, but I used to be in a praise band that was called New Jerusalem. <laughs> How do you like that? Okay. Maybe we'll make a comeback one, one day at Secret Church. Okay. A new creation, a new Jerusalem, a new temple, number three. A new temple. A new place. We will be with our God, and he will be with us. A new order. Everything is new. Indescribable beauty. Second, inexpressible joy. Verse 6 says, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Is there anybody in this room who has gone to the things of this world time and time again and come up empty and looking forward to the day when we will experience eternal satisfaction and we will never, ever be thirsty again? inexpressible joy. And here's the beauty of it. It is full and it is free without cost. I will give him to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Indescribable beauty, inexpressible joy, and irreversible justice. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7 and 8 gives us a picture of he who overcomes inheriting all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. Eternal sonship. Eternal sonship. But it also talks about those who will be cast in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Eternal sonship and eternal separation. The lake of fire is the second death, Revelation 20, 14 says. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so I urge you, if there is any doubt in your mind as to your status in Christ in the kingdom. I urge you to see that there's coming a day of irreversible justice when there will be no more second chances. So I urge you not to play the game and not to take your chances. I urge you to submit to the king. Picture of the kingdom. The promise of the kingdom. Here's where, I, go, to, go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 7. This is the claim of Christ, and he repeats it three different times in the last chapter of the Bible. Hear his words. Verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Then you get down to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Verse 20, behold, uh, he, he who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming soon. That's the claim of Christ. So what's the cry of the church? The cry of the church is, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So be it. So be it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm coming soon. Amen. So here's the question I want to ask you. As we close out this whole picture of the kingdom of God in the New Testament, the question I want to ask you is this. Are you anticipating the kingdom? 
Are you anticipating the kingdom? We've asked ourselves, have you accepted the kingdom? Have you, are you advancing the kingdom? Now we close out, are you anticipating the kingdom? Here's what the New Testament tells us to do. In the book of Revelation, as well as other places, we, number one, we look for his appearing. We look for it. See the temporary nature of this world. Take heart, the New Testament says to those who are reading it in the first century. Take heart. Soon there will be no more sin. Soon there will be no sin. You will not have struggles with sin anymore. Not at all. Soon there will be no sorrow, no pain, no agony over lost loved ones, no pain over cancer and over sickness that just doesn't seem to go away. There's no more sorrow, no more sadness. Soon there will be no more sickness. Cancer in all forms will be gone. AIDS, it ravages so many Millions of lives gone. There will be no more sickness, and soon there will be no more separation. No more separation. See the temporary nature of this world. And whenever we face things that threaten to destroy us, see the temporary nature of those things. And see the eternal importance of our work until he comes. Don't quit your jobs. Don't sit around like fanatics. Work like Jesus is coming back next week and all the peoples of the earth need to hear that he's good and need to hear that he died on the cross. We work like that. That means we work much harder than we would work if he wasn't coming back. That's why the second coming must be a recovered doctrine in the church because it is motivation for the mission. See the eternal importance of our work until he comes. Keep your jobs. We look for his appearing. Next, we live for his appearing. We live for it. We must pursue holiness in all areas of our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says, In light of his appearing, pursue God. Be holy. We don't want the king to come back and us to be asleep in our sin. That's not the picture the New Testament gives. New Testament says, pursue holiness. Be holy because the holy king is coming back for you. So be the bride, beautifully dressed in white linen, which is the righteous acts that he has given you to wear, that you have the power across this room to say no to sin and live in righteousness. So live in righteousness, live in holiness, because he's coming back. And we want to be ready when he comes. We want to be alert, the New Testament teaches. And we must proclaim the gospel to all peoples of the world. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read, from you, read to you from Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Here's what he says. He says... Verse 13, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Then listen, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom, which we started off talking about, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you see, do you see that? Jesus ties his coming back with the gospel going to the nations, which means if we anticipate his kingdom, then we advance his kingdom with great zeal. We run to the nations. Why? Because we want to see Jesus. That's, it's, it's tied together. The whole picture is tied together. The hope of the kingdom, mission of the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It all comes together. Make the kingdom known. We must proclaim the gospel to all peoples of the world. All peoples without distinction. We look to his appearing we live for his appearing. And third, we long for his appearing. We long for it. We long for the day when he will save us fully. 
The work of Christ on the cross is enough to save us and justify us before God, no question. And we stand confident of our eternity with him. But there's coming a day when our salvation will be complete. Those called, God called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a day when our salvation will be complete. And not only do we long for the day when we will say, he will save us fully, but we long for the day when we will see his face. I want you to underline Revelation chapter 22 verse 4. If this verse is not underlined in your Bible, then you need to underline it and put a box around it or stars everywhere around it. It needs to be very noticeable when you turn to this page in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 22 verse 4. We'll start in in verse 3. Because it's going all the way back to Genesis. I'm going to make sure you get there because you've got to be able to underline this. No longer will there be any curse, verse 3 says. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. Five words that creation has longed for ever since Adam and Eve were separated from the garden and cast out of his presence. No one in the history of redemption has been able to look at the face of God. The most righteous we could put forward could not look in the face of God, apart from Christ, of course. But there is coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when we will experience the goal of our redemption and we will see his face. Is there any grander vision to motivate us in life? We're going to see him in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his grace, in all his majesty, and we're going to enjoy him forever. We live long for the day when we see his face. In the last paragraph of the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis says this, as Aslan spoke, he could no longer, he no longer looked to them like a lion. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.